Sometimes I wonder if one of the reasons God has blessed our family with Connor is to teach me his perspective, uh, God's perspective, on being a father to me and to all of us. I think all of us get a little autistic when it comes to God sometimes. And Connor, uh, Connor has a u- unique way of communicating with us. We, our communication is, is very unique. You know, we, we use words. Connor can't use words. Connor uses his iPad, and he's able to tell us what he wants. But more often than not, Connor has worked out his own system to communicate with us and to let us know what he wants. And it's just kind of the Connor system. He will come and get me, and he will take me by the hand. He grabs my wrist, and he guides me into the refrigerator. He walks me in there, and he takes my hand and reaches out, and he opens the refrigerator door with it because Connor knows that he's not allowed to open the refrigerator door. And then he takes my hand, and he guides it down, and he slides the drawer open where we keep the cheese because Connor knows he's not allowed to get into that drawer. And then he leads my hand in, and he pulls out a slice of cheese. Now, how he knows the cheese is there is beyond me because he's not allowed to do those things, but somehow he's figured it out. And so that's, that's what Connor does to, to get me to give him what he wants. He just guides my hand. But then there's other times when Connor needs some time with his dad. He just needs some one-on-one time. And, and I'll be sitting in my, in my chair there in my home office, and he will grab me. He's gotten strong enough now that he just grabs my arm and yanks me out of my chair and leads me like a little rag doll to to his bedroom and he grabs both of my wrists and he leads them up to my glasses and he very carefully manipulates my wrists so that my glasses fold and then he lays them aside and at that point we get in the bed together and it's tickle time and we play together and we wrestle together we tickle and we just enjoy that time together he he asks for that two or three times a day he asks for that and I I try to oblige him and and give him that time I was thinking about the other day as we were laying down together and as we were playing piggy toes for the umpteenth time and I thought how many of our other kids want that kind of time with us how many of our kids would love to have that time where we just lay down together and we talk and we play and they they have our undivided attention but either they don't know how to ask or they're embarrassed to ask or or maybe they're afraid that we're a little too busy for them and sometimes we would probably tell them that we are too busy and i've got to wondering how much does god crave that time with us and and how badly do we need that time with god too often i think our prayers end up like connor wanting cheese you know we're we're guiding God's hand and we're telling him God this is what I need over here I want you to get this for me when the reality is what what God would love and what we would need so badly worse worse than the cheese or whatever else it is what we really need is to simply take the glasses off and and lay down and, and enjoy his presence and and I can't see any of you when I do this so put these back on for the moment We're laying a biblical foundation for prayer. And if we're laying a biblical foundation, I think we have to start there. Not with prayer as a means of getting what we want, but prayer as encountering God. You go back to the Garden of Eden. You go back to the very beginning. Adam and Eve living in the perfection of the Garden. 
their prayers to God wasn't, we want this, we want that. Everything they could want was provided for them in the perfection of the garden. Instead, communication with God became, became about knowing God and about communing with Him, about being one and being in a relationship with Him. That's the purpose we were created for. That's what we lost in the fall, and that is what prayer supplies. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 3, a prayer that Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. In those Bibles there in front of you, uh, it's page 977. I love this prayer. I think, I think I've preached on it probably a dozen times. Uh, over and over again, I've preached this prayer. I love what it is. I also love what it's not. Paul is writing this. Paul is, is under arrest. He's under house arrest when he writes this prayer. Um, he is chained to a big burly Roman guard probably when he's writing this prayer. And the Ephesians, the people that he's writing to, they were living in a very immoral culture where people worshipped idols and where people uh, worshipped sex, where people were doing all kinds of immoral things. That's the culture that they lived in there in Ephesus. And so Paul writes to them and he prays. And this prayer is not, Lord, get me out of prison. This prayer is not, Lord, fix this. I've got to get out. You know, get, 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 get me out of prison. And this prayer is also not, Lord, fix this culture. This culture is turned away from you. This culture is not honoring you. So you fix this culture. Instead, this prayer is about encountering God. I want to begin with verses 14 through 19. And Paul says, for this reason, and you really have to go back and look at the first verses of chapter 3 to find out what reason. And the reason is because of the gospel, because of the good news of Jesus Christ, because God has sent His Son to pay the penalty for our sin so that we can know forgiveness, so that we can know the way to Him. And that is our message, and that's what we preach, and that's even what Paul preaches while he's in prison. For this reason, he says, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened. He may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I love this prayer. This prayer reminds us that God's deepest desire is for us to know Him. And this, this prayer shows us that everything about God's nature, everything about God's nature draws us to Him. A few weeks ago, we spent some time in my Sunday school class out here. We spent two weeks talking about the doctrine of the Trinity. That's right, I covered the Trinity in two whole weeks. Everybody understood it perfectly. We tried. It's a big doctrine. and It's, it's a big thing to understand. And, and I'm convinced we're, we're never going to wrap our brain around the Trinity because God is infinite and our brains aren't. And so we're going to spend eternity trying to understand the nature of God. And, and it would be very easy to look at something like the Trinity and say, what's the point? Why do I need to know this? You know, is it like algebra? Am I ever really going to use this in, in real life? Why do I need to know this? But, but we come to this prayer 
And here it is. It's the Trinity. It's God's nature. It's, it's his triune nature. This prayer is wrapped up in, in God's very nature. If we're trying to talk about the foundation of prayer, then we need to understand that foundationally there we find God, who he is in his nature and what he calls us to know about him. You know, you go back to Matthew 28 and the Great Commission, and Jesus tells us, go and make disciples of all nations. And he says, baptizing them in the name, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you notice he doesn't say in the names. It's not plural. He doesn't say baptize them in the names of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's one name. It is one name because it is one nature. If you understand Jewish culture, you understand that your nature, who you are, is wrapped up in your name. And so one name, the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, means one nature, means one being. So what does that say about verses 14 and 15? He says, For this reason I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. God calls us to his name. He calls us by his name. That means that he wants to share who he is with us. He wants to share his very being with us. He wants us to know him. And Paul says, this is the God to whom I kneel. This is the one I kneel before. This is the one I submit to. It is the God who draws me to himself. And then he goes on. He goes from Father to Holy Spirit. We, we tend to sometimes ignore the Holy Spirit. You know, we don't want to get too weird, so sometimes we ignore the Holy Spirit. Other times we tend to, to focus on him because we want to get kind of weird. You know, we want to get out there. We want to do those things. Either, either extreme can be dangerous. But here, Paul, in Paul's prayer, Paul shows us just how vital the Holy Spirit is to our lives, to our prayers, to how we approach God. We're very aware of what we lack. We are so often, we are very aware of what we don't have and, and what we lack. We feel the weight of our sin. We feel unworthy to be here, to be in God's presence. And so he says in verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. You read that right there. And then tell me, what do you lack? What, what do you not have? What, what is holding you back from God? that you would be strengthened through His Spirit, that you would receive the riches of His glory, that you would be strengthened with power, that He would fill us with His Spirit, with His self, with His being. Romans chapter 8, verse 15, Paul says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Paul says, I kneel before the Father through His Spirit, you might, be, you might be strengthened in your inner being. Through the Spirit, our relationship with God the Father is sealed. We are His children. And the goal of all this is there in verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. There it is. Father, Spirit, Son. One in name, one in nature, and one in this desire to draw us to Him. We need to see that. I've mentioned this before. Too often, we treat prayer like it's magic. Like it's some kind of magic formula. Like we're going to learn the incantations and we're going to learn how to say the right words and how to do it right. If we say this with the right amount of feeling, if we think about this but we don't think about that, then God will hear us and He will answer our prayers. Prayer is not 
magic. There's no magic formula. It's not about technique. It's not about some system. Rather, it's about what we see here. God deeply desires you in His presence. His very nature, all that He is, draws us to Him. And the other side of that is, everything in our nature cries out to Him. Everything in our nature cries out to Him. And I say that, and I know that sounds kind of naive, because you're thinking to yourself, really? You think my nature cries out to God? You think my nature desires God? My nature desires bacon cheeseburgers. My nature has some very base desires. My nature has some very uh, worldly desires. And, and, you know, we we talk about that, and and we're very aware of our hungers and our lusts and our desires. But I'm talking about the nature that we were created with, the nature that has been restored through Christ, that we have been adopted as God's children, that we have been named with his name, uh, we, we see, we feel that. We, we, we know something of that desire for his presence. We know something of that desire of his care and his attention. And so Paul's prayer for the Ephesians becomes our prayer and our prayer for ourselves becomes one of a, a deepening understanding of our relationship and our reliance upon God. He goes on there in verse 17. He says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length, the height and the depth, and to know this love, the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Rooted and grounded in love. This isn't superficial. This isn't puppy love. This isn't some passing fancy. This isn't some teenage crush. This is love. This is commitment, rooted and grounded. And he uses two words there uh, that relate to trees and, and relate to buildings. You know, you think about a tree, and you think about how a tree is rooted. A tree doesn't have a backup system for receiving nutrients. A tree gets its nutrients through the roots. That's it. And he says, being rooted in this love. And it's the realization that I will find, I will find my nourishment. I will find that which sustains me and empowers me through this relationship with God. There is nothing else. This is where I will find my nourishment. And then he talks about being grounded. That's not like when you guys get grounded. That's a different kind of grounded. He's talking about buildings. He's talking about the foundation. He's talking about being established. And, you know, buildings have a foundation, and that foundation needs to be firm. And he's saying, I will not only find my nourishment from this relationship, I will find my stability from this relationship. And there's one component that you can't miss. He says in verse 18 that we may be strengthened to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of this love together with, with all the saints. That's, that's you all, okay? That's y'all. That's you guys. You know, you are all the saints. I know you don't feel like saints, but since God filled you with your spirit, which he tells us that in the verses right above there, since he saved you through his son, forgave you through his son, you are saints, you are clean in his presence. And so all of us together, we reflect God's love, the different facets of his love, the different dimensions of his love. And he says there, so that you, along with all the saints, all y'all, might comprehend the breadth and the length, and the height, and the depth. Do you get the dimensions of it? The breadth, the height, the depth, 
It's shaped like the cross. And a lot of preachers would stand up here right now and talk to about the cross. And they would do very well to do that. And they would tell you how the, the image of God's love is, is summed up in the cross. The, the cross arms, the, the height of it, the depth of it, that it goes down. And that's the image that Paul is using here. And I don't deny that, but I think it tells us something else. I can't go so far away in the breadth and length of this world that God's love can't reach me. I can't sink so low into the depths of sin that God's love can't reach me. I can't see God as way up here, higher above me, and not realize that His love is reaching down for me. I can't escape the love of God. And if I am comprehending that together with all the saints, then that also is telling me that I can't stop loving you. And you can't stop loving me. We're stuck. You know, you can't get so far away that we're going to stop loving you. You can't go so low in this world that we're going to stop loving you. That love is going to continue to expand and continue to reach out. And did you see how he describes this love, this love that stretches us? He says in verse 19, and to know the love of Christ, that surpasses knowledge. <laughs> to know the love that surpasses knowledge. I want you to know this love. By the way, you can't. You're never going to get it. You're never going to completely understand this love. You're never going to totally grasp it. I want you to know this love that you can't begin to grasp. You can't even start to understand it. There is this tendency in this life. and There is the tendency in relationships that we have with other people and we've come to realize that, and we've seen it happen. There are times when love, when love can die between two people. We've seen that happen, where, where love can die. And we are very aware that there are relationships that, that come and go. There are relationships that, uh, there are friends that, that drift apart after a while. There are families that split up. There are even people who used to be here, used to be a part of what we do, and they're, they're not here any longer, and we're, we're very aware of that. And what can happen is, if that happens enough, if that happens enough times in our lives, we become hardened, and we become apprehensive about welcoming people into our lives. We become apprehensive about forming new relationships and trusting people, because the question is, well, what if they leave me just like that other person left me? What if they hurt me just like that person hurt me? And so we only, we only get so close, and we, we stop. But look at this relationship. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. There's no end. There's no growing apart. There's no, well, what if God's feelings about me change? There's only more depth. There's only more love because there is only more of Christ. This relationship is not tenuous. This relationship is not fragile. God isn't looking for some excuse to cut you off, to say, yeah, you went too far that time. You're done. He's not looking for some reason to push you away. All that He is, everything that He has done, all of His being cries out to love you and, to, and for you to come to know Him. That is the very heart of prayer. 
What's the proper response to that realization? Well, for Paul, it was this just outburst of joy, outburst of praise. We, we call it doxology because it sounds very proper when we say doxology. But as I've explained many times, all that really means is glory words. You know, that's what, that's what doxology is. It means glory words. And we're going to say glory words. And so Paul has these glory words here in verses 20 and 21. He says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I love those two verses. I love to think about those two verses because we're told to kind of think about these two verses. To him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. So I'm supposed to think about that. What does that mean? Well, what could I ask for? And what could I think about? Well, he can do more than that. So if I ask for $10 million, but I think about $100 million, he can give me a billion dollars. That's how it works, right? I would love to do that with this prayer. I don't think we can. Because this prayer, if you notice, is all about love. It's all about the, the love of God. Is there any amount of love that's too much to ask of Him? Is there anything that I can do that will cut me off from His love? Is there anything that I can do where God says, whoa, you crossed the line, I'm done, and that He would walk away from me? Is there any amount of love that would be too much? Any amount of care? This prayer says there isn't. This prayer says God is never going to come back to me and say, how much do you need love? How much do you need forgiven? How badly do you need your heart healed? I'm sorry. I can't do that. That's too much to ask. This prayer says, no matter what we've been through, no matter where this world has taken us, that He is able to do abundantly more. He is able to love abundantly more. He is able to forgive abundantly more. He is able to give abundantly more than all that we can ask or imagine. That was demonstrated best for us on the cross when God's love was poured out and His Son was broken for us. We use these little cups and we use these little wafers, these little crackers when we come to the table. Some people have mentioned the cups feel like they've gotten smaller. I don't know. Maybe they have. Maybe my fingers have gotten bigger. I don't know. I'm not really sure. Everything else has. So I you know, I, I, my big fear whenever we do this is it almost looks like it's been rationed out to us, right? You get this much. You get this much. That's all you get. That's not how the cross works, and that's not how God's love works. He didn't ration out His blood and say, this is all you get. Try not to use it all up. You know, don't mess up again because that's all there is. There's no more. That's not how the love of Christ works. That's not how... The death of Jesus works. The resurrection. It's not how the cross works. You have been gloriously saved. You have been abundantly forgiven. That's how great our God is.